Well, good evening to everyone. It's good to see you here tonight. This is, of course, Wednesday night of the gospel meeting, which means mainly a rallying up of the home team. So it's good to see so many here from this local Oak Mountain Church. It gives me an opportunity and sort of the privacy of the home court to say thank you, not just to the leadership here for extending the invitation to the week, and not just to certainly Bob for hauling me all over the place and getting me Arby's in the lateness of the night, but you, this is a membership activity. This is about God's people here coming together, making definite choices night in, night out to try and grow in your relationship to God. And as I said on Sunday morning, I do not take lightly that you are sitting there eight times staring at me while I share with you things from the Word of God. That's a very humbling activity, and I appreciate the chance to get to do it. Sort of our overarching theme this week is that we have a great and amazing salvation, but we have to be careful. No one can take it from you, but you could give it away. We started with that idea of the slow fade on Sunday morning. If we aren't careful, and unfortunately we have seen it in others, we just slowly drift away from God and give it away. And what we're trying to do during the majority of the lessons this week is do everything in our power, really everything in God's power through us, to prevent that in every way possible. So last night, we talked about prayer. How do you make relationships stronger? Communication. It's the answer in your marriage. It's the answer with your enemy. And it is most certainly the answer with God. Communication. Communication with God has two portions to it. One of them is the reading and studying of the word. And the other is prayer. When we pray well, we feel closer to God. But don't go in empty handed. If we bring nothing to God, we will leave the courts of God with exactly what we brought in. But if we can take something with us to the throne, he can do incredible things with it. That was our study last night. Maybe it's not what you should bring, but whom? The Holy Spirit. So when we pray, we should bring the words, the emotions, the ideas that the Word of God teaches us. Taking prayers from guys like David in 1 Chronicles 29 or Hannah in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2 or the Apostle Paul as was read tonight in Ephesians 3 and use them to draw yourself to the Lord and know what to say. And then the second part last night, and I guess I'm asking how did that go for you, was an exercise wherein we go in with some quality of the Spirit, some emotion of the Spirit like love or joy or peace identify it, take it with you to God, talk to Him about it, see what He can do when that's on your mind all day. I hope you've gotten into that, tried some of that today. So last night's focus was already prepared before I came this last week. It was on prayer, and I'm certainly hopeful that it gives you some ideas. Tonight, we're going to head on to something else, totally different idea. I really smiled a little bit when I got here and noticed on your flyer that it didn't have sermon titles. Preachers love that. Because it means we can just, nobody knows unless we tell them. We never tell them except, I'm telling you right now. As you know, and we've been talking about it every day, and I'm really humbled by the fact that you've taken a a special interest in this. My father-in-law going through a really difficult time. And so prayer for me has been more important this week than any week I can remember. And so if it's okay with you, I just want to go back to that topic again one more time tonight. And talk a little bit about, yes, we want to take the Holy Spirit with us, but for some of us, it's not about the quality of our prayers all the time. 
We are very emotional about it, but, you know, we're also really, really busy. Do you notice how we get tied up with things? We've got free enterprise and we've got all kinds of things happening around us in direct TV with 350 channels and there's school and work and activities and we get tired. And oftentimes we can have the greatest intentions for prayer and really know exactly what word or what verse we want to take with us. And you can look back after a whole day has passed. Maybe I'm not the only one in the room. And recognize I've gone all day and not prayed to God. Maybe a couple of words here and there. I mentioned last night when there's two tacos on the table. I had two tacos tonight. They were great, and we prayed over those two tacos. But you look back and say, well, maybe I prayed today, but it was just a couple of words I threw around here or there. We need a great approach, a planned approach to prayer. So I mentioned to you last night, a few years ago, I started on this mission on how to put the heart of the Spirit back into my prayer life, and we talked about that last night. So not long after that, I recognized that I just wasn't finding a daily approach and I started forgetting and it started overlooking it. So I went back in and tried again. This time I was looking for a daily prayer plan. That's what we're going to talk about tonight for a few minutes. A daily prayer plan, a prayer plan that helped me regularly and effectively communicate with God every day. And it needed to be uh, repeatable. That's the word. I needed to be able to do it on Thursday all throughout the day. I've got it printed out. I'm pretty confident in it. I feel really great about it. It's all colorful and it's square. And there's a whole stack of these in the back, by the way. And I'm encouraging you to pick this up on your way out. I needed something I could stick somewhere. I could see it every day. Go through that process. Not overwhelming, but definitely inclusive. And then get up the next day and do it again. And this is what I have to share with you tonight. Can you read that? And I hope that you'll give it a try starting tomorrow and you let me know before the week is out. Now, here's what I want to tell you about it. It's not a great prayer plan. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that right up front. It's not a great prayer plan. And I'll be honest, it's not even, it's really not even a good prayer plan. So I hope that doesn't take some of the fire away. I would call it, and it's written right there at the top, no big deal, it's just, yeah. What I'm going to share with you tonight is the perfect prayer plan. Now you might be thinking, who is this guy? Are all Texans like that? We are. I hope I've earned enough clout in the first four days that you'll follow along with me and see where this is going. But let me be clear. I don't mean the Bible word for perfect, you know, where it's raised to your highest level based on present information. Let me just be clear. That's not what I mean. This is a flawless Top level, you can't do any better, prayer plan. Nobody walked out. I just need you to give me a few minutes to try to prove my case. This prayer plan includes ten basic steps broken into three categories. So I'm going to share it with you and instinctively you're going to challenge every one of these. Well, it's pretty good. I don't know about perfect. I stand by my word tonight. Here's how it began for me. I needed some scheduling. I needed a way to approach the day where prayer would get regular attention and we're so busy and so mentally weighted and, and it needed to be very practical. So I started with this. Number one, every day, start your day by talking to God. If you put the two ideas together, I told you last night that I have these, these bathroom tiles 
And the first thing I'll do when I get up in the morning is put my hand on each of the nine tiles, fruit of the Spirit, choose one, hold my hand there, go through the process every day before you do anything else. And really, maybe even before your feet hit the floor, talk to God every day. So we're going to start this thing off right. But that's just a good start. We need some good progress. So I made the determination to do what I've been taught since I was two years old, to pray before every meal. Now, unless you're on one of those interesting six meals a day diets, for most of us, this is about three extra opportunities every day. Now, I guess I'd always done that, but now I try to give it real attention. So that's breakfast. I prayed before I've really gotten going with anything else. Sit down at breakfast, pray for something else. Lunchtime, even if it's in public. How many of you have had that experience where you were at Disney or somewhere and you prayed in public with your family and people came up and like started patting you on the back like, like a unicorn they just saw in the woods? Like, wow, you really exist. We change the world through prayer and sometimes we do it by the observations of the people around us. I made a determination that I would pray before every single meal by myself at the breakfast table, at lunch with people who don't serve God wherever it would be and at the end of the day. So that's building me up to about four conversations with God in a single day. Not too bad. But then came this. Somewhere, sometime, whenever it works for you, Slip away. Slip away, and and I like to think of it as stealing time from the world. Steal it away. Take it away from the people. Take it away from your agenda. Rob it from everyone else and take it and just go, go give it to God. Maybe this is that car ride that you have in the middle of every day or near the evening. Maybe, and really advisably, at some point during the day, you found a quiet place to go read your Bible. What a great idea there. Right on the heels of a Bible read to take the thoughts and the ideas of Scripture and go to God in prayer. But I try once at least every day to steal a moment from everything and go to God and give it to Him. And then you know the rest. At the end of a long day, no matter how busy it's been, no matter how difficult, and not while we're passing into unconsciousness on our pillows. Pray to God. Now, you're picking it apart, but just relax a minute. Maybe you can add things. Maybe you can modify things. But this takes me to the throne of God intentionally six times every day. Okay, well, that was a good start. And I'll just tell you, if you'll print this thing out and put it somewhere, and you're talking to God a half a dozen times a day, you're going to start noticing a difference, especially if you're kind of working through the nine fruit of the Spirit, or maybe you're praying some Bible prayers. It's a really neat way to approach that. But I needed some basic guidelines then on what I should be praying about. I want to make the prayers personal. So here are three more things to talk to you about tonight. Number five, give specific articulate, adjective-driven glory to the name of God. Beautiful. Basically, the whole list from here on in was prayed in the prayer we heard about ten minutes ago. It was incredible. He gave very distinct, unique, power-infusing descriptions of the great God of heaven. Ephesians, please. Look in Ephesians 3 again. We noticed this the other night. In Ephesians, the third chapter... 
we had that prayer that we were reading. We started in verse 14, we read a few verses, and Brother Bob came in tonight and read what, what was added right to the tail end of that, verses 20 and 21. But I started picking up on the fact that in the Bible, when people prayed to God, it was usually not some formulaic, Dear Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father's great, if we mean it. But descriptions like, from whom, verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That's a great Dear Heavenly Father line right there. You are over all, you created all. Give intense, special, unique power to the glory of God. Do you remember, because we studied in Matthew 6 last night, the Lord's Prayer, do you remember how it opened? Look back in Matthew chapter 6 so you can see it on the page. In Matthew chapter 6, do you remember the opening line? Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I mentioned it last night. That's who you are. My Father. That's where you are above me in heaven. And that's how amazing you are. Hallowed be your name. Give great glory to God. And I would say this is where you could fold in a lot of thanksgiving. Thank you for the blessings. Thank you for your power in my life. Thank you for Jesus. That's all glory. I was listening to the prayer that was offered a few minutes ago. And when he thanked God for giving his son, immediately after that, he said some great things about God's love. Thank you for your love and your glory and your majesty. He was giving glory to God. So be creative and unique. Tell God how you feel. Number five, give great glory to God. Number six, ask God to heal you where it hurts. Oftentimes, the greatest necessity of prayer is because things aren't going really great. We're struggling. Talking to a sweet young lady tonight, back problems, in a lot of pain. She's still here tonight. I said, this one's for you. Ask God to heal you where it hurts. When your body hurts, ask God to get you through. When your heart hurts, when you're sorrowful, when you feel guilty, this is where you put in asking for forgiveness of sins. I'm not asking for forgiveness of sins because I sinned and I'm supposed to ask. I am hurting because I have sinned against God. I feel the pain and shame of a violation of His will. Ask Him to heal you where it hurts. Look with me in Philippians, please. In Philippians chapter 4, Philippians 4, and you know this verse well, we're talking about verse 6. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 as well, please. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving... Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I can't explain verse 7. I'll never be able to explain verse 7, but I love it. I have an absolute appreciation for it. That when I am hurting, when I am struggling, when I don't know what to do, I can go to God with the right spirit and heart and with the spirit, and He can put upon me a peace and security of which I cannot describe. Do you see how verse 6 opens with be anxious for nothing? That's a really interesting word. The background information on that particular word relates to the idea of a divided mind. 
Something that takes your mind that you want it to be focused on God, but something has divided it away. The pain in your body, the pain of loss, the sorrow of your circumstances, or just shame in your sin is just peeling your brain away from God. Be divided for nothing. If it hurts, if you're struggling, take that moment and go to God and pour it out before Him. Ask God to heal you every time you hurt. But we're also going to need some help. We need wisdom. We need to ask God to help us make decisions, help us through circumstances. And look, this is why I think a half a dozen times a day of talking to God may not even be enough. Maybe this plan can get perfecter, but it's a minimum. Six times a day we go to God because there's so many decisions we have to make, so many things we have to do every day that affects the people around us, It affects our progress. It affects our family. We ought to be the kind of people who are constantly asking for God to guide us, help us, and direct us. Open your Bibles with me to James chapter 1, please. James chapter 1. You probably know the passage we're examining. Verses 5 through 8. In James chapter 1, it just got through talking about considering it all joy no matter your circumstances, because I'm asking God to help me where it hurts. And then in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, and I don't know about you, but every time I read that, I mean, I can be all alone and my hand starts to go up. This is a man who lacks wisdom. You're looking at a man who lacks much wisdom. Two teenagers at my house, just ask them, I'm a dummy. I face multiple times a day when I'm not sure what to do next, what to say next, how to handle it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, verse 6, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man, verse 7, ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, two ways to guarantee a foolish choice. One is, when you're contemplating it, don't pray. Don't turn to God, don't pause, just think and do. That elevates the chance that we will regret that decision. They do not have because they do not ask. In James chapter 1, the point is, if we ask God because the preacher said we're supposed to ask God, so I've got this big decision coming up, and they keep talking about it, I guess I'll go to God in prayer, and we go over there and we say, Dear Heavenly Father, help me through this, help me make a decision. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And then we run into the decision and we wonder what happened. You went in knowing that that prayer wasn't going to help you, and God only gave you what you asked for. We've got to be the kind of people of such great faith that we know That we're the criminals here and he's the son of God and we need to appeal to him with humility and he will guide us through. Plead to him to give you wisdom. All right, so that's sort of the personal section between you and God. Glory to God, thankfulness, asking for forgiveness, asking for healing, asking for wisdom. But there needs to be some element in our prayers that include other people as well. So that's our last three things. Number eight, let's talk about the people around us. Number eight, pray... For those you love. This one comes kind of easy. 
Remember, remember in Ephesians, I want to show you this. I think we made this point last night. But remember those two really powerful little prayer sections we read? We read a little bit in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and following. So remember some of that stuff? The eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You will know what is the hope of His calling, verse 18. Was Paul praying this for himself? Or was he praying it for the people in his life? I think he meant it for himself, but that's not who he was praying about. He was praying for the people in his life, specifically the Ephesians, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And the same thing happens in chapter 3. Look in verse 14. We read this one as well. Chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I'm going to tell you right now, and I'd have to double check this, because when I say things I haven't practiced, I usually make mistakes. I'm very presidential that way. You just saw an I in verse 14. I don't think you'll see another personal pronoun for the rest of the section. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ, watch the pronouns, may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend. And then he goes into this beautiful description. And yes, there's not a single personal pronoun for the rest of that section. It's Him and you. We ought to be devoting huge portions of these six prayers to praying for the people we love. Pray for Bob and Cherry and their work, your four shepherds who oversee the sheep here. Pray for your parents. Pray for your children. Pray for the people that you love. But notice, it's not just about physical prayers. I think that's a big shift. Remember the SSPS? Probably the off-putting is strangest thing you've heard in a sermon in a while, but you probably won't forget it. The Lord's prayer that He prescribed was spiritual first, spiritual second, a little bit of physical, and a lot more spiritual. We ought to be praying for the spiritual and mental well-being of our loved ones and for their physical health and safety as well. I just have to tell you, with my father-in-law, it's been about his soul from the moment I heard. He's been struggling a little bit spiritually. When I met them 20 years ago, 22 years ago, completely devoted, wonderful man, dressed really nicely, went to every service, every, every page of his Bible color Bible marked. The last 15 years have been a little bit of a drift, a little bit of a fade. There have been signs of positivity and spirituality. He went to Louisiana and he baptized his brother before his brother died about a week ago. I'm just praying for the man's soul. Yes, we got a positive sign yesterday. He moved around a little bit. My father-in-law, by the way, in a motorcycle accident on Friday. And so I sort of shifted gears a little bit and I prayed about his body, his flesh, I don't think there's been a time in the last week when I've had more prayers with less I's and me's in it than this week. And there's something invigorating about taking God's time and asking Him to turn that attention away from me and to the people who need Him most. Pray for the people that you love. But let me add this. Not just for the people that you love. Pray with the people that you love. Pray with them. Bow your head at night with your children. Sit down at those meals in your home and pray with them or listen to them pray. My son Nicholas, I could listen to the man pray all day long. He prays for everybody in the house. I think everybody who's ever been in the house. He prays for paper towels. 
He prays. And then he'll throw in those lines that the only reason he's saying them is, you know why? Because he heard Dad say it. And those are the ones that hit me the hardest. When he's saying things he doesn't even understand yet because he heard his dad say it. We inspire one another through prayer. I just have to say, and I'm probably, it's going to sound like I'm just here and blowing a little smoke because I'm here, but I promise you I'm not. Some of the prayers I've heard in this building this week are the most powerful, emotional, helpful prayers. And maybe I'm just in a little more sensitive place this week than I have been, and I would, I would honor that that's probably the case. Amazing words. We need to pray together. Restaurant, pray together. Basketball game, pray together. Pray with the people that you love. Look with me in Acts chapter 4. I want to show you a great example of this. Acts chapter 4. Remember the case of Peter and John in Acts 4, how they were detained and threatened, and they chose to stand for the will of God, and by the grace of God, they were released. Do you remember what they did when they were released? Peter and John, they get to go free. They can go anywhere they want and do whatever they want. I want you to note that what they did... Well, let me just show it to you on the page. Look in chapter 4, please, in verse 23 and 24. When they, Peter and John, had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord. You can call this song or prayer or inspiration or whatever, but they're talking to God and they're doing it together. O Lord... It is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. They're quoting Psalm 2. And they go on in verse 27. They're just talking to God together. They describe to God, verse 27, the present circumstances. And in verse 29, they make a request. Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal. And signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit filled the whole place because of the effect that he had on them. Look at a lot of what we studied last night and tonight. It's right there in that read. They took an element of peace from the Spirit into the prayer. They actually quoted the Bible twice, quoted the Old Testament in the prayer itself. They gave God incredible glory as it opens with a quote in verse 24 from Exodus and from the Psalms. Pray with the people that you love. Pray well. Little ears are listening. And then lastly... Maybe one of the hardest in the list, and then the list will be presented to you. Any idea what's coming next? Pray for those you love. Pray with those you love. And yes, pray for those who do not love you. That's not going to be easy. I'll tell you what makes it easier. When we're praying more regularly. When we're not praying very regularly, and I've been there, and if you've been there, that's okay. That's why we're having a lesson like this. You know, maybe just once or twice a day I pray. And maybe if you added up all of the seconds of my prayer in a typical weekday, it would be 90 seconds. That's not unreasonable for some folks. 90 seconds. Those are 90 precious seconds. I can't waste any of those on my neighbor who plays loud music till 3 in the morning. I got 90 seconds here. I can't waste that on this coworker. 
who's trying to undermine everything I'm doing. I've got to pray for healing and wisdom and my family and thank God for things. I've got things to do. Well, you know what? If you're not finding enough time to pray for your enemies, you're just not praying enough. God's people pray for those who don't love them. Open your Bibles with me to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, Matthew 5 and 43, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now the first half was a quote from the law of Moses, the second half was a Pharisaical addition. It was a a cultural addition that was never God's will. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And we've quoted that a lot. Everybody in the room knows God does that. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. We even quote that. You've got to love everybody, don't you know? How much are we praying for them? Don't they need our prayers? I don't think there's anybody in my life that needs my prayers more than my enemies. Because if I'm standing in the right place, that means with God, they're standing in the wrong place. They need some prayers. It changes the way you interact with people who treat you poorly after you've prayed for them. Pray for those you love. Okay, if this was a Bible class, and there was a podium down there, and I didn't have my coat on, I would ask you this question. What makes this... The perfect. Was I unambiguous about that? I'm talking about legit. Prayer plan. Well, if I went down there, and I've actually done this in a Bible class, so I know what some of you are thinking. Someone about my age, dressed nicer than me, would raise his hand and say, Well, brother, I'm pretty sure I could do better. It's good. That's pretty good. But I would definitely make some modifications here and there, and he's usually a friend of mine. He's picking at me, and I'd say, okay, fine. But you're wrong. You can add some things, you can modify some things, but you cannot do any better. And then I would go to the class again and say, why is this the perfect prayer plan? And somebody raised their hand once and said, because it works. I like that. I said, it does work, but that only makes it a good prayer plan. Only good. Someone else would say, All of these ideas are found in the Bible. And that's true too. And I would say that makes it a great prayer plan, but still, there are a lot of other things found in the Bible you could do. Anybody here tonight know why this is the very best effort, at least least as as a basis, as a skeleton? Why this is the very best effort every day you can make in prayer to God. Do you know why? Because that, that's not me. That's not you. Do you know who that represents? Jesus. I really wanted a better plan for prayer. And look, let's cut all of the sarcasm and trickery. I'm not a great prayer plan builder. I wouldn't have been on this journey if I was a great, consistent repeatable prayer plan advocate. So I sat down one day, computer screen here, yellow pad right there. I'm a lefty, it was over here. And I went to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I had these programs open. 
and I coded for every time the word pray, prayer, prayers, praying, admonitions, all the prayer words occurred in the Gospels. And I thought, I want to learn how Jesus prays. I want to get an idea of the fullest possible picture of the Son of God's prayer life. And if I can mimic the Son of God, they would call that Christian. If I can be like Christ, well, I guess I put it this way to myself. It's good enough for Jesus, the Son of God. It's good enough for me. When I got through, I had the yellow pad with things all over it, and I began to move the verses around. You guys ever built sermons like that? You're just moving those. You're trying to find which verses go where, and you knock out the, the ones that are copies of another thing, you know, synoptics and so forth. And when I was done, it broke down the life of Jesus into a ten-part prayer plan. And you, my friends, you're looking at it. Let me take a minute and show it to you. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. We'll go through these very swiftly. You know the context. It's Jesus and His work and His three years of ministry. But here's what I need you to see. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. In the early morning. I do sometimes skip that part. I'm a preacher. I sleep in a little bit. But in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. You think Jesus had a busy day? You think He had a lot to do that day? He had a lot to do every day. He was the most busy man. And yet before He met other people, before He interacted with saints or sinners, before He did the first will of God in the sight of others, He went off by Himself in the morning and He spoke to His Father. And that for me is the bathroom ties. I go in there before anything else happens. Jesus started his day with prayer. And so should we. Every day. Meals. Jesus looks like he prayed to God before every meal he ever ate almost. In Mark chapter 8, and maybe with certainty, in Mark chapter 8, please, and in verse 6, he directed the people to sit down on the ground and taking the seven loaves. You just read this phrase over and over. This is a miraculous meal where they distributed out the loaves. He gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them. Now, I will spare you several verses, but Jesus prayed before a miraculous meal. Jesus prayed before a common meal. And Jesus prayed before the Lord's Supper meal. When Jesus took nutrition from the grace of God to nourish his body, he did not do so. Until he had, number five, given glory to God for what was in his hand. Jesus prayed before his meals. And did he ever slip away for prayer? He certainly did. Open your Bibles there with me to Luke, the fifth chapter, for just a moment. Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 will help us. And Luke 5, perhaps the most needed prayer of the entire plan is the slip away prayer. The, the steal the moment from the world opportunity that can come at various times, and maybe more than once a day, and maybe even more than once for Jesus. But in Luke chapter 5 and verse 15, the news about him was spreading even further. And large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. 
Now, I'll tell you what hits me the hardest about this. What was he doing before he slipped away to pray? Oh, no big deal. Just preaching the message of the kingdom to masses and healing people supernaturally. He's doing incredible work for God. He is using his time in verse 15 in the most godly, focused, concentrated, spiritual form possible. And he still took a break from it. He still took a break from it. And he went out and he talked to God. What about us? I'll never have a day as noble as verse 15. Don't you think we can slip away from our occupations a little bit? Slip away from our television screens? Slip away from just the daily minutia of whatever? If he took time out of that day to talk to God, I need to take time out of every day to talk to our Creator. Jesus slipped away. And then, yes, and you can reference this later. When you pick this up in the back, it'll have these passages listed. Mark 6 and lots of other places in the evening, at night, At the end of a long day, just like we talked about, he prayed to God. Let me tell you this, John 17, he gave immense glory to his Father. And I want you to think about while you're turning to John 17 that Jesus had quite a bit of glory himself. He's so much more glorious than you and me. I'm talking about like uh, they found those planets today, NASA found those planets that are 40 light years away. That's crazy. That means we're looking at that that planet 40 years ago. Just, yeah. That distance is what I think about when I think about how much more glorious Jesus is than me. And yet he, he, from here, passionately offered words of magnification to the greater glory of his Father every day. John 17 will help us. I'm in John 17. Just the first few verses, maybe a couple of other selections. The whole chapter is this prayer that Jesus offered. In John 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these things. And lifting up His eyes to heaven, He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You, even as You gave Him authority over all flesh, that to all whom You have given Him, He may give eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know You, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Now, what I like about those three verses is there's a lot about the glory of Jesus in there. He is the glorified one. He is the Son of God. But He takes all of that personal glory in all three of these verses and just turns it back towards heaven. The glory I have is the glory you gave me. The eternal life I preach is the eternal life that comes from you. He gave great allegiance to the majesty of God. Verse 11, He calls Him Holy Father. Verse 25, O righteous Father. We need to be creative and impassionate when we address our God because Jesus is greater than us. And He did. Did Jesus ever hurt? Maybe not in the same way as you and I hurt. We hurt when we sin. He did not have that experience. But we also hurt when the weight of the world is so heavy, the trials before us so seemingly insurmountable that we don't know what to do. He wept when one died, and here he wept again. Open your Bibles with me to the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26. And you know this well, in Matthew the 26th chapter, and we can look in verse 38. He said to them, My soul, 
Matthew 26, 38, is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little further beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He said in verse 42, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Now I would just say, and we can't get into it tonight, I do not believe he was asking not to die. I think what he's saying is the weight of this moment and what I'm going through tonight is so incredibly intense. Can we just get on with it? Or do I need to suffer like this? But if I need to suffer like this, if I need to suffer like this, I will do it to your glory. He didn't just pray for God to heal him where it hurts. He prayed for God to help him through if it had to hurt. If healing wasn't an option, get me through. I learned to pray about things that hurt from Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. I don't know that Jesus needed wisdom, that He didn't know how to make decisions. He was, after all, the Son of God. But He did appeal to God for a great many, His Father for a great many things. And one of the things that interests me, backing up just a little bit before the garden, is in Luke chapter 6, much earlier in His ministry. In Luke chapter 6, He had a huge decision to make. He's got about 70 guys following Him around. Everywhere he goes, these 70 guys go. But he needs to get out of bed in the morning, say his prayer, and go in there and pick 12 of them. It's kind of a big deal. You know these 12 guys, right? These became the guys. And they would define the future and the beginning of the church. What it says, if you're looking with me in verse 12, it was at this time he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose twelve of them, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and so forth and so on. He had a decision to make. A big one. Big decisions, prayed all night. What about us? What about when we don't know what decision to make, or we don't know what's right, or we're looking for some way to know? Pray before you make those decisions. Did Jesus pray for the people that he loved? You know that he did. He prayed so passionately for His apostles. Head back to John 17 as we get near the end of this list. In John chapter 17, that lengthy prayer takes up the whole chapter. We looked at the early stages of it a moment ago. We could pick up here in verses 9 and following and just listen to the way He appeals to God on behalf of His friends. John chapter 17, verse 9, I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those who you have given to me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given to me, that they may be one, even as we are. There's more of this in verse 15 and verse 17 where he asks them to be sanctified in the truth. He's praying that their relationship, it's the two greatest things there is, by the way, that their relationship with God stay strong and their relationship with one another stay strong. I pray that they will be in you and I pray that they will remain in unity together. Did Jesus pray for the people that he loved? He did. With every ounce of love that he could pour forth, And he prayed with them as well. A couple of examples would be the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke chapter 9. It talks about Peter, James, and John going up with Jesus as he prayed there. He prayed before his disciples and they got to hear him do it very often. 
Not a lot of private prayer when he was with them. They prayed together. And what really stands out to me, if you look at it, please, is Luke 11, verse 1. Something really interesting happened. If I was around Jesus, the Son of God, and he was praying with me, I would be listening for tips. I would want to know exactly how to talk to God and what words to use. And his disciples did that too. In Luke 11 and verse 1, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And then he goes into something you know well. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins. He prayed before them and he inspired them to want to pray better. And then lastly, did Jesus pray for those who did not love him? What did he say on the cross? In Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. On Sunday morning, we looked at these seven statements that Jesus uttered while he was dying upon the cross. Two of them talked about his suffering. I thirst and why have you forsaken me? At the very end, there were two of them that talked about his trust in God. It is finished, into thy hands I commit my spirit. But the three middle ones show how much he loved. He loved John and Mary when he had them care for one another. He loved the criminal who repented, but he even loved those who did not love him. Only so many words he uttered on the cross, maybe 90 seconds worth. But he found time to say, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. His love has no limitations. And you know how you know? His prayer life. I would suggest that everybody in the room can measure your love for others the exact same way. The way that we pray and what we pray for. Okay, have I brought you back around? I'm not just some pompous Texan. Usually. But you're not going to do any better than this. This is our king in his life showing how to handle the heaviest weights. Remember Sunday morning, he carried a weight none of us could carry. He did it this way. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. Let's do something together tonight. This time you won't be asked to do anything except bow your head with me so that we can go to the Father in prayer. Let's pray together. Our dear Heavenly Father, our great God, our Creator, our sustainer, giver of blessings and promises, the reason we live. We come before you at this time and we're honored that the time has been extended to us and that whenever we choose, whenever we choose to approach you, you're always there. You're always open. You're always ready to listen. Father, we're humbled by that and we pray that you will strengthen us to be wiser with that time and use that opportunity more regularly. Father, it is challenging, as you know, for the people in this room tonight, for all of us to live strong. We want to be strong, but we falter. Part of it is sin. Part of it is just the weight and challenges of the human body or the human element or just life on this passing place. So, God, we're asking for healing. We're asking for souls that have been purified. We're asking for bodies that can be strong. And we vow, like Hannah did with the birth of Samuel, if you will give us that strength, we will give that strength to you. We will use it for your cause and in your way. But God, we don't know where to go. Left or right, up or down. Our wisdom is limited. We're looking at life through a straw. And yet you see the entire room, every option, every way. Give us wisdom. Help us. Help us raise our children. Help us influence our neighbor. Help us worship the right way. Help us to praise your glory 
as is our grand purpose. God, we're so thankful for our loved ones. We pray that you will open their eyes to what is light and what is right, and you will guard their hearts and their souls, all the young people in the room, all the people that we know who aren't here. But God, we pray for everyone. There are Christians, and there are those who are not yet Christians. They may hate you. They may have turned their back entirely, and we may have to take the brunt of it. But God, give us the qualities we studied last night. Give us the fruit of patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control so that maybe, maybe an enemy can be counted as a brother. Father, we're thankful above all for Jesus. We wouldn't know what to say or how to do it except that He did it first. Everything He did first. Everything we're asked to do, He's already done, including praying to You. We're thankful for His sacrifice and His love. Guide us through as we seek to honor His cause. In His name, Amen. Our invitation tonight is simple. There is no way to get from here to where you want to go without God. You have to have a relationship with Him. You have to feel like you can go to Him in prayer. And there may be more than one person who's come here tonight... And the prayer exercises may not be working all that well. And you may feel like it's been a really long time because there's something between you and God. And that thing is called sin. And you need to get it out of the way so you can get to His feet and grab tightly and beg for mercy. If you're not a Christian, you must become one. You must be born again of the waters of baptism so that you can have that sin removed. And if you are a Christian but you've drifted a little and sin has come between you and He... I meant to tell you on Sunday, when you're a little far away in the rowboat, something really neat happens. When you start rowing back towards God, He brings the land at you so fast you can't even believe it. You draw near to God and He draws near to you. If we can help you, we will pray for you as we stand and sing.